This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 32 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products. They can be found at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Debbie McDonald, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, hi, Debbie. Here we are coming to the end of the year. This is going to be our last episode of 2009. You're in Sully, California in the, what, in the 70s, and I'm stuck in Lexington in, you know, in single digits here. There's something wrong with that. I know. I feel so sorry for you. I really do apologize, <laughs> but I'm not missing it one bit. <laughs> I bet but you're not. Did the year go? It's gone already. I can't believe it. I oh. know. It just flies by, you know, and as you get older, it flies by even faster. Oh, I know. I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're looking forward to a really big year in this country. I think a big year for for uh, sport horses in, in the U.S. And, of course, not least of all because we have the World Equestrian Games to aim for later on in the year. But a lot going on. It's going to be a busy year, Debbie. And we've got a full show uh, to finish the year off with. And uh, our guest this week is going to be Scott Hassler. Uh, of course, Scott, known to everybody in the world of dressage as being... Uh, quite the leader in producing young horses. So I think lots of uh, advice and, uh, uh, and and tips there from Scott on how to produce young horses. And Debbie, you know, it's something that we've been asked to cover here on the show. We've had emails and we've had messages on Facebook. It's so clearly it's something that people, if they've not done it before, if they've never had a young horse, they maybe have got into horses uh, with a schoolmaster or an older horse, and then feel confident and ready to take on a younger horse, but maybe not have the experience. I'm sure you see that all the time. It's so true. And I mean, you know, there is no perfect scenario for any, any horse. I mean, they're just like people, everybody kind of learns it on a different curve. So um, it does take a little bit of, of knowledge to produce a young horse to its full potential and no better than Scott to help us along with that. So it's going to be a great interview. I'm very excited to be a part of that one. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward, looking forward to hearing from Scott shortly. And uh, of course, you have a barn full of horses, don't you? No, they're not all older horses, too. How many youngsters do you have, uh, Deb? That are like under five? Oh, uh, the majority of our barn really is youngsters. Um, we have, you know, the couple older Grand Prix horses, but um, mostly dealing with, I would say, seven to four to seven year olds. Really? And, and are they mostly American bred or do you import them from Europe as well? Most of ours have been imported. Yeah. Um, I, not that there aren't good ones here, but that was just basically what uh, our sponsors kind of loved the auction environment and got hung up in that. So that's the reason for that. But there certainly are some beautifully bred horses here in the United States. I don't see any reason to go over there anymore, to be honest. Now, do you favor any particular breed, Debbie, or do you look at just the horse and, and first and then the breed second? I look at I just look at the product to be honest. Um, I half the horses we have in the barn I probably don't even know they're breeding on. <laughs> I mean they they end up being mostly Hanoverians again because of the auction. But I have a couple of Dutch horses, you know, a Holsteiner actually. I mean I really don't have a preference as long as they do their job and do it well. That's good enough for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Europe, there's been an awful lot of action across the pond here in the, <clears throat> since I last spoke to you, Debbie. So we'll uh, get to the news of the week now. And, and we're going to start off with the, the headlines, which have to be about Totilas, who once again broke a world record. What a fantastic horse. And he did that at the World Cup qualifier in Olymp Olympia in London um, before Christmas. 
uh, with a score of 92.34, just inching out passable with Adeline Cornelinson. Um, it really was impressive, Debbie. That's three times he's broken his his own world record. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, and it seems like every time we talk, this is the top of the of the list. You know, I mean, <laughs> yes. this horse really is going to hit 100% one day. I have a feeling. <laughs> um, it, he is. He's a he's a freak in that sense. Um, I I've watched him. I've absolutely have not seen him live yet, but I've heard it's just as lovely as it does appear to be when you watch him on the video, if not better. So I'm yes. very excited to see that. And I'm also excited to see if maybe he might be coming to our um, Florida circuit for the Masters. I don't yeah, know. If yes, heard. I believe he is. I've, I've heard confirmation of that, that he, he uh, oh, wow. actually that he was coming. And then I read something um, just remembering it as you mentioned it, Deb, because I read something just yesterday that they're not going to travel him to Florida now. Um, well, I would gonna... think that would be a little risky with what's coming up for the year. That would be a couple times the horse would probably have to travel over, which is getting to be quite a lot. Yes, yes. I know there was, and I was hoping to get down there to watch him, and then I just read something uh, yesterday, I think it was, that... Uh, He's now going to focus on the World Cup final because that's right on his doorstep. Right. And, and the World Equestrian Games, that's going to be the two target competitions. Well, that certainly makes more sense to me, you know, although I would love to see him here, but um, I think we will. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's I, no I, doubt that we're going to see I, him here. Uh, absolutely. Um, well, that was again a terrific uh, performance there from Edward Gall, uh, representing the Netherlands, of course. And then we they went on to Frankfurt for the next World Cup qualifier there in Germany, where the uh, again the Dutch took hold of that competition. This time with Imke Schellicken Bartels riding hun, riding Hunter Douglas's Sunrise. She won that on a, a score of eighty one point four five, beating out the German rider Monica Tirarescu on her whisper, uh, who scored 77.90. And the, the Danish rider, Natalie Susanne Wittgenstein, with Digby, came in third. So another tough competition there, some high scores in Frankfurt. And then they came to Mechelen in Belgium just the other day uh, with for, for the third World Cup qualifier in a row. And again, M. Kasilikan Bartels uh, topped the leaderboard there, Beating her Frankfurt score, she finished on 82.2. And I think the the headlines from that competition were that Isabel Wirth made her comeback into the competition arena, and she finished a very close second there with Verum Nicht on 81.65, followed closely by uh, Jeanette Hansen from, from the Netherlands on Naarten. She came in on 77.85. But the news also, apart from Isabel's comeback into dresser, into the competition arena, was that Parsifal, written by Adeline Cornelinson, who was second to Edgar at Olympia, she actually won the Grand Prix, but then finished 10th in the freestyle. And, and that was because the horse got his tongue over the bit as they came back to the walk about halfway through the test. And so she was dropped right down the order. Obviously, very disappointing for her to have that kind of score added to her record. But still, that horse is so impressive, and that doesn't happen every time, does it, Deb? No, and it. I mean, certainly those things can happen, and it's it's obviously very devastating when they do. Um, and you know, it was probably let's hope for her sake. It was just a freak situation, and you know that doesn't show up again. Yes. Um, and that yeah. is pretty devastating for a rider, for sure. It 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 certainly is. But um, there's a lot, still lots more drama to play out in the World Cup qualifying of, of the Western European League. But we should also mention the news for our own rider who competed over there in the Young Rider um, finals of of uh, World Cup finals, and that was Cassie Bartow. And you may remember Deb, we had Cassie on the show a few weeks ago. She was preparing to travel to Europe to compete in Frankfurt, and she finished tenth there with her uh, uh, partner. And a, a great competition that was for her, and uh, great experience, of course. Oh, absolutely. For her. I mean, what? A, I mean, congratulations to her for sure. I mean, definitely the 
highest young rider we've sent over there yet. And like I said, there's such a great way. It's such a great way to get experience for these kids. And I'm just so glad that she could, you know, go and participate. Absolutely. Well, Raymaster there, her, her, her loyal partner, uh, did a wonderful performance, and she finished uh, second in the B group of the of the freestyle there on sixty eight point six five. So great experience for her, and we're looking forward to having her back on the show to tell us all about that uh, venture over to Europe and her her first time across the pond there. And you know, it it must be daunting, Debbie, for these young people to go across and be thrown right in the lion's den. If you go to any competition in Germany or or Holland. In, in this sport, you're going to be thrown in the deep end, aren't you? Oh, it is. It is really a scary experience, exciting and scary, you know. Um, and I, I think back to the first days that I went over, and um, they're very etched in my mind, and, and uh, some good memories and some also not so good <laughs> memories. But nevertheless, uh, you know, you've got to go and you've got to do to get better, so... Yeah, the way to way to start is young. That's good for her. Yes, yes, it's like learning a new language. The you know the sooner you start, the more secondhand it becomes and uh, instinctive. And to be exposed to that kind of comp- competition, so uh, I, I think you know real career uh, uh, character building as well as career building, isn't it? I think so for sure. I think you come out of there very humble and uh, a better understanding of of really where the sport is going and where we need to keep, you know, upping our standards. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll look forward to hearing from Cassie here in the next few weeks. And our final piece of news this week is about the appointment of Eva Solomon, uh, who used to be with the FEI, of course, uh, heading their dressage department. She has been offered the position of managing director and chef to keep for the United States Equestrian Federation, a position that she expects to take up in February uh, pending the confirmation of her visa. She'll be moving here uh, to Lexington, Kentucky. So we look forward to having her on the show at some point, uh, Debbie, because this is a, a really pivotal role for anyone in the sport uh, to, to come in at this at this stage uh, before a major championship, and especially since we're hosting it here this year too. Uh, so a lot on Eva's uh, shoulders, but uh, very much a person that's up to the task. Oh, very much so. I mean, I don't, I can't think of a better person for the for this job. To be honest, um, she's right. She knows the the ropes completely, and she's got big enough shoulders to carry us. I can assure you that. <laughs> well, we wish her well, and uh, I certainly will um, try and get her here on the show to tell us about uh, uh, you know what that feels like to be taking up that position uh, with the World Equestrian Games uh, right there front and center this year. So a lot on her shoulders, and we will be following that appointment uh, here in the next few weeks on the Dressage Radio Show. Well, we're going to take a short break here, Deb, uh, for a commercial, and we'll be right back, so don't go away. Well, thanks, Chris and Debbie. You know, not every horse needs a supplement. Selecting the right supplement for your dressage horse can be a science. Kentucky Performance Products simplifies that search. You can trust Kentucky Performance Products to give you the most value for your money. KPP offers supplements designed to target specific problems that are made with high-quality ingredients included at effective levels. One of those products is Joint Armor. Joint Armor's well-balanced, scientifically-based formula provides your horse with the building blocks necessary to maintain healthy joints throughout his lifetime. And it helps maintain the flexibility and fluid motion found in normal joints and supports cartilage development and reduces joint deterioration. Best of all, it's concentrated and affordable. One jar will last up to 75 days. Learn more about Joint Armor and all of the products at Kentucky Performance Products, visit kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. Well, Debbie, we're coming to our guest of the show this week, and it, it really was an honor to catch up with Scott Hassler. As you know, Scott has been involved with young horses for many years now and has a terrific foundation in horsemanship and great experience that he was been exposed to for a number of years and, and has built up a wonderful business uh, with Hassler Dressage up in Maryland. 
and also, of course, he he holds the title of of the USEF uh, National uh, Dressage Young Horse uh, Coach and Trainer there. So uh, an awful lot on his shoulders. But uh, we had been asked, as I said earlier in the show, from some of our listeners um, for some advice on uh, what it takes to produce a young horse. So we thought it only fitting to get uh, somebody who really is considered the best in the business to join us and and uh, share his views and uh, knowledge. So let's welcome Scott Hassler. Scott, welcome and thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to have you on. It's your first time here on the Dressage Radio Show and a lot of people will be familiar with you and your reputation for producing young horses, for breeding and producing and coaching and and as your role as the USEF's National Young Horse Dressage Horse Coach and Trainer. Uh, So let's begin, if we may, Scott, with a little bit of background um, about the establishment that you have in Chesapeake City, Maryland, with uh, your wife, Suzanne. Tell us a little bit about how how that all came about. Have you been with horses since you were knee-high to a fetlock? I was. Basically, I was almost born on a horse. But, um, you know, in my early years, we had a very small family-run business um, in southern southern Pennsylvania, you know, not far from Delaware, Philadelphia area right there in the quarter. And my mother was a very successful uh, hunter-jumper rider and then eventing and then and then on the, into dressage. So I grew up into horses and, and my sister as well. She's both mother and sister are both in the Pony Club Hall of Fame. So I grew up really into Pony Club. Um, very strongly, which I to this day I still really cherish those days of of, of that background of Pony Club, with um, you know learning not to be afraid and to jump and to be just free spirited and learn the educational part and all of those things. So I think today that still is there. And then moving on from there, um, I was probably more of, a, of an eventing rider before I became such a serious dressage rider. Um, and then I had a few horses that got hurt in eventing and backed off and just rode them in dressage and really fell in love with the with that part of the sport at that level and then i turned my one of my actually was was a warm blood and he was pretty successful at winning like the national preliminary championships that year and i thought you know what i'll just do dressage with him this year as well and so the same horse was national champion at preliminary and at third level dressage the same year so that was kind of fun and from there i really took you know quite a turn into dressage and then um from 1990 until 2006, we, we built up and designed and developed all the programs at, at Hilltop Farm, and that was a great experience in those years, and, and still today, just look back on that opportunity, it was fantastic, and I think we accomplished a lot in a, in a very short amount of time, and in those years, it was a very high-end dressage and breeding um, with warm-blood horses, and, you know, I rode into Grand Prix and, and um, had a lot of clues students and clients and all those things as well as breeding and then we we did educational activities as well and some neat breeding opportunities with embryo transfer and and those were you know just terrific terrific years with a great client base and and uh you know very fortunate to have some great success and then in 2006 we started our own business um late in the year into 2007 and now we're based in Chesapeake City Maryland and and very proud to have our own business and we're we're doing a very very exciting project with partners um, we've been in construction for about two years now, two and a half years, of designing and building a, a fantastic facility and property with things that we love, our passion, which is still going to be very highly based on education, um, public events, and probably some neat in-house student programs, as well as our regular training business for dressage. Um, and so we have a full stable right now of almost 50 horses and um a group of stallions, so all the things that we've always loved to do, which is a lineup of stallions, the training business, and also now youth is, is very important to us is to, to be a platform where we can be there for, for the youth to develop themselves. Well, that's a very full schedule right there, Scott. And to, <laughs> add, to add to that, you're also, of course, named, as I said earlier, as the the young uh, National Young Dressage Horse Coach and Trainer for the USEF. How do you find time for all these things? Well, you know, if you are very blessed to do something that you have a great passion for, I think you find the energy and the, and the drive. And a lot of people, I mean, that's a comment that we get a lot is both my wife and I are extremely energetic, and, and uh, I appreciate you saying that. And I think while you have it, you use it. <laughs> One day you might not have it. So so that's kind of our philosophy is, is go while you have it. Um, yeah, and, and for USEF, for the Markel Young Horse Program, basically... 
um, it's roughly about the same the same every year, which is roughly fifty some days. I work for the United States Equestrian Federation with the the Markel Young Horse Program, the training sessions, and then um, coaching at the selection trials, and then the national championships, and also taking the team over for the Young Horse World Championships. So it's about you know between fifty and sixty days with travel that are allotted over to the USEF. So tell us a little bit more about your own establishment. And, and you say you have a group of stallions, so you're very involved in the breeding side of that. And, and of course, Ling was based with you, as well as a number of other prominent stallions. Tell me what that program looks like, and do you have mares visiting? Or do, you, do you use embryonic transfer? How does that program play out, Scott? Well, again, with, with, with the warm bloods, of course, the transported semen is is extremely popular and probably most common so you've got the fresh cooled transported semen and then you also have frozen semen so in terms of the mares they don't have to come to us or or deal with any of that they can the semen just goes to the mares locations and so our program that's something different from when we left old top and we came into our own business now is that we we have maybe one or two mares that we're having fun with to breed ourselves um to keep that passion and then we have neighbors where we've got some mares that are private so we don't actually don't have a mare band that's that's with our business anymore we just have the stands and we send the semen out um and like you had said we have you know i think on our on our roster for for 2010 i think we have 11 stands um, um that we're managing and and very fortunate to have you know one of the one of the world's best which is Rousseau. um you know he's very very dominant and very famous and feel very honored to have him in the in the lineup and also love writing them every day. <laughs> so tell tell us about this you, your your training program then, Scott. You obviously have some that are bred that come to you, but you have altogether what fifty horses you you mentioned. That's a pretty big business. How much of that time do you spend actually riding and training horses for yourself to compete and for Suzanne, uh, and also for your clients? How do you divide that time? Uh, I wish I had a great answer for that. You just do your, you know, we do our best in general. Um, with with our business, we have um, again a lot of clients that live with us now that tra- that travel to their horse every single day. Um, we've got a couple of, of youth that are with us from college. They come and ride the horse every day from University of Delaware, and then we have clients in a general area like a, a regular training business would be. So um, I'm pretty. I try to be at the stable. Um, on a consistent basis from, you know, first thing in the morning until, you know, 1, 2 o'clock almost every day. And then I have a lot of trailer and lesson business, and then I also go out and I go to about 15 sites within two hours of here where I coach a lot of other trainers. I go to them um, and help them with their horses, and I do that in the afternoon. So I'm, I'm trying to be, I try to be three to four days a week really at home for the clients here. And then they're all quite good riders, and my wife has great eyes, and, and they can work on position with her or, or look at something with her. Um, so I sit on probably, let's say on average, I sit on maybe six to eight horses a day, something like that. But then I'm coaching and training about 35 horses a day probably. And your um, young horse... Um, Horse Trainer Symposium has become a, an annual fixture. Tell us a, lot, a, a bit about that, because that's something that's just for trainers. It's not open to the public, is it? That's correct, yeah, that's correct. Uh, what inspired that was, was um, you know, we feel that a breeding program is only as good as, as how well the horses are going to be ridden to bring out the, the best of the athlete. And we felt that in this country... Um, and I'm not trying to be, you know, non-patriotic here. It's just we also have to observe things and be realistic sometimes. And I think that riding young horses in this country was was and still is still, I would say, behind the European schedule of our sport where they where they dominate. And I, what inspired us was to to really focus on the on the the bringing up of a young horse because if we really think about it the depth of what we're going to have for the future for Grand Prix horses is going to be out of the young horses because they get a good foundation, they get good training. And if you bring horses along from the from the ground up in a confident way, more light, most likely they're going to be better trained at, at, at Grand Prix and, and less issues to deal with. So that's what kind of inspired that. Um, the event basically is done annually um, with our partners, um, Harmony Sport Horses on that event. And basically it's by application. And trainers apply, and, and uh, there's a there's an application form online for it. It's usually in the fall, and 
the first year is fully paid by the sponsors except for airfare. So hotel, food, the training, the opportunities, everything is paid for. That's our way of contributing to the sport. And then um, there's the fee. So after you've been selected into the group, you can come back every year. You're automatically invited. So let's just say a particular year, maybe there's 60 trainers that want to come back that have already been. And then there's very few new people invited in that apply. We're trying to get the group too big. But on average, we find that about 40 trainers, 45 trainers that have already been reapply to come back again. And then we accept maybe 10 to 15 more to try not to get the group too big. And it's just trainers. And um, we really train horses and have discussions. And it's, it's, it's long days. It's, it's from early in the morning until late at night. And it's a dinner and then discussions in the evening and, and things you run into in the business with you know, working with your clients and um, uh, how you how you balance your life between all the all the demands that are on us as horse trainers and and you know so that we get into some really good discussions, which is very powerful, I think, to hear sixty trainers really be open and discuss things. Well, that really as is well as the, that that is a sorry, I was going to say as well as as uh, sorry as well as the you know the content of just the quality of training, but also the business and how we conduct ourselves as professionals and and build our reputation and all those things. So it's it's much more than just how to train a horse. It's a lot about networking and, and working together to be to be better as a unit. Um, yes, this is, Scott, is a marvelous contribution to the sport and you've identified what is basically uh, maybe a weakness in this country and, the, and even more important with the number of adult amateurs that come into the sport in, in all the Olympic disciplines, actually. And that's maybe the lack of a foundation and, and knowledge that we might have had you know, from from the early age, and certainly for, speaking for myself, you know, and I know, and others that have had the benefit of pony club, like you have yourself, and it becomes more important that we establish those principles of horsemanship. So I think what you're doing is obviously very uh, fundamentally essential for the development of young horses. And I want to get to that, um, Scott, because we've had listeners write into us to to ask about. How do they get? A, how do they start? Uh, how do they go about? If they've not produced a young horse before, they may have a mare that they want to breed with, and they may want to bring that young horse on themselves, or they may have the opportunity to buy a young horse, but not the experience to educate a young horse. Where would you advise them to begin, Scott? That's a great, uh, great question, Chris. It's. I think I think finding resources locally, or you know, that would be ideal to find resources locally to them that, you know, they can still be involved with the program. But I would definitely recommend if you haven't had it, had the experience of doing it yourself. It's such a critical age, and young horses can be very unpredictable. Some can be really easy about everything. Some can be very flighty and nervous and insecure. Um, you know, I, I like to look at it um, more on a, more on a, on the children's schedule. So with, with young horses, more or less like children, and if you look at the at the the best teachers that we really look up to in elementary school and in, and in grade school, they they're so good at at finding the individual child the you know what they're dealing with. Are they are they shy and insecure? Are they bold? And and they balance that in a beautiful way and and, and channel it. And I think that's the same thing we're talking about with young horses. So um, there's a stage I would recommend if you're not experienced at it. It's it, it's not a cop out to get help. <laughs> it's it's probably a very very smart thing to get some help and some guidance and to to try to find resources close to you, which you can still be involved, but let them do a lot of the work, especially the first you know two three four months uh, of putting confidence in the horse, and and you can be involved in that procedure. But I think young horses is really a, a kind of a specialty at, at that stage of life, and I think very often it gets very easy at some point, and that really varies per horse, but that's when you can make that transition over to yourself. Um, and, and again, that's really not a cop-out. I think, I think you should have assistance. If you're not experienced in doing it, you should have assistance in guiding you along the way. And, and as I said, Scott, you, you, know, you have established yourself as, with a reputation for being really the leader in this country for producing young horses. And just speaking to that, when you're, when you're producing young horses successfully, a lot of that basic knowledge and understanding comes from an intuitive sense of analyzing each horse's temperament their personality and how to handle them and that's not something 
if you don't do it regularly, maybe you just have one horse in your backyard and you maybe understand him. But if you're then getting a young horse, you need to have that intuition, if you will, of, of understanding that horse's temperament, don't you? And that doesn't come, that doesn't come easy, but it, you need to open your senses if, in a way. What would, you, what would you say, Scott, would be the, the key, um, the key uh, qualities, really, to producing to, or to identifying the needs of a young horse in their temperament? Yeah, I would say, like you said, it's it's a lot of it's just natural feel and and a natural ability to to read young horses and to to try to get guess what their thing is. But I think in the end, most horses will pick pick their way to be. If I I don't like to use the word resistant, but they'll pick their way to to show their emotions, and and it's pretty consistent. You have some that bolt. You have some that shut down. You have some that shy a lot you have some which are just totally fine and easy so they they kind of will pick their pick their area that you should be aware of and then and then be ready for it and i think another thing is we look at the old horseman's rules and you read things all the time and you know one thing is the incredible sense that a horse has in reading the energy of the person and and you know we've always heard you know don't mess with the walk walk a horse on a completely long rein on the buckle so you don't disturb the walk they can even feel you on the buckle so I think that's that's also really important is that is that they can sense the fear of a rider and I think when we talk about young horses that's something that just has to be you know thrown right out in the open is if you have fear the horse will sense it and that will show up and I think that's again why I started the the you know our dialogue today by saying I am so thankful that I had pony club because I just learned to be a free spirit and not be afraid of horses and run across fields and gallop and be a kid. And, and I have, I, I, to this day, I have zero fear on a horse. And uh, I just, you know, I feel very blessed by that. And also just an incredible read for, for what horses do. But if you get tense and a horse has insecurity, then they even get more afraid. And I think it's important to be present to what's going on, but not be forceful or rigid. And um, to kind of just go with the flow sometimes. And a lot of people are afraid of that, and I think that's something we have to really be open and realistic about. Is if we have fear, we probably shouldn't ride a young horse because it's it's going to end up. It could end up not going to end up. It it possibly could end up in a in a in a pretty poor situation. And I think that's what I was saying earlier about that stage is that it's very very important. And I think I've been very lucky. And I think people, the more they can try to look at their horse and say, you know, he's pretty consistent about. Um, getting out of the work in this way whether he scoots or he shies or he shuts down or whatever he does or she does that's going to be pretty consistent and then be aware of it and i like to use the word coaching that we we really coach them through their weaknesses or their insecurities or their strengths um coach them through that in a consistent way and they they, they work their way out of it in a confident way in most cases and we, we shouldn't forget of course the the instinctive element of horsemanship is anticipation and being being able to anticipate what they may or may not be do, do, do um, and to to always try and be one step ahead of them. Of course, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Yeah, that's you know that's beautifully said, Chris. And I I think that's kind of where it is. If you if you dominate, and that's where I think the fear comes in, or the determination, or the lack of patience, or whatever it may be. If we dominate and 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 anticipate too much and dominate them, they'll pick a new route. Because now they feel they feel completely shut down and they feel completely overpowered and their their spirit, their being, their freedom, their working with you as a partner is kind of gone and they feel dominated and they'll pick something new. But I think, like you just said, trying to read them and say, you know, the quicker you can catch something, the more subtle it can be addressed. And that's a feel. That's yes. a feel. Yes. And feel can't really be taught. Feel's a natural thing. And and. As soon, you know, if you if you if you catch their emotion just at the slightest slightest degree, it shows up, and you right away start coaching them, and it goes away again. That's a nice communication that doesn't turn into resistance, and that's what I was saying about the word coaching. And like you're saying, try to anticipate the slightest feel that something's happening, and and catch it and identify it and coach them out, and then be be free again and be peaceful and not keep nagging at at what they were shying at or what they were sulking back at or whatever it may be. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, being a step ahead without dominating is a key. 
And of course, being in a place of security yourself, that you don't feel threatened or be put into a fearful situation to be self-defense, you know, self <clears throat> self-defensive about the, what the horse may or may not do, but to to put yourself in a relaxed and open frame of mind. And and if you don't have the experience with young horses, and I think this is an important message to our listeners, Scott, is that as you said earlier, getting the help at an early stage of that horse's development when you first own it if you first buy that horse and you bring him home and you think wow i've got a fantastic prospect here but if you don't have the knowledge to how to bring out the best in that horse or develop him in a correct way um, there's there's nothing shameful in in getting the help at that earliest level of, of education is that absolutely and i think that that there's nothing more important in that first phase of a, of a horse's life is to be um, to be shown confidence and and if, if the rider is not confident, it shows up in the horse right away and then and then it's very hard to retrain things on a young horse. They, their their memory and their experience level of what has happened to them stays. Let's say, for example, what what I run into frequently, I would say is some, the horse the horse is hard to mount. Let's that's a not you know not a really common thing, but that's that's one that would go on a list of I don't know top. 50-something things that young horses run into. So you can't get on, they, they scoot. And and you get more detailed about that, and then the person says, yeah, one time I'll swing my leg over and hit him in the hip, and he took off. Well, now he's now he's really anticipating that all the time. So every experience is really, really critical that it's that it's confident and, and, and nice. So absolutely, it's not a cop-out at all. If you're really all the listeners out there if you're if you're really inclined to buy a young horse because you think it's a fun process and, and, a, and a fun thing don't be afraid to get help in in the first stages of life it's not a cop out at all and then take over when it's the right time for you to take over the horse Abs- absolutely and looking at uh, producing young horses uh, scott and producing for the for the ring too people think they, they they might want to show in hand for example and they've never done this before what advice would you give them to do that they, to find a right trainer nearby uh, yeah, like to do the in-hand work is really fun. The, the USDF, uh, United States Dressage Federation's Breeder Championship Series, they're they're really fun. And I think it's a great experience for young horses to get out and go to shows without being ridden yet. They see the environment and they learn to stable overnight or trailer there and back and get get uh, used to a lot of horses and a ring and experience. And, you know, I think that makes the showing process later, you know, really good. And to get the help in that, there's some, on the USDF website, there are some handling um DVDs they have, I believe, and then also just um, trying to find regionally who who does that, who's good handlers, and who can teach that to you in the, in, in local areas and go for it. Absolutely. Now, do you, are you a big proponent of long lining as as well as lunging, Scott? Do you long line your horses any distances when the, before you back them? Um, yes and no. Like, am I really a component? Um, uh, for some horses, yes. Let's say a horse is really really scooty and is afraid of things behind them. That's a horse absolutely that gets long lined for sure. That they handle things brushing the behind their legs and and all of those things. But a horse is pretty simple and straightforward. I I personally just don't do a lot of long lining. I I it's something I just don't. It doesn't have to be done. In other words, in the system. But a horse is really sensitive. Absolutely, a lot of long lining from from behind. And then I apply long lining later in life too for piaf passage and for pirouettes and canter and stuff like that. I apply long lining later and again just from my my. Um, my younger days, I, I worked, I was very blessed to get there also. I worked for a, a world champion forehand driver, so I, I learned a lot about driving and, and long lining, and I think it's fabulous applied for certain things. Now, when, when do you, would you typically start to long line, uh, lunge and long line a young horse, Scott? At what age? Uh, again, Chris, I think it depends upon, and this is for the readers obviously as well, is, is uh, I wish it was so simple with horses to say, here's the schedule. Um, I think the growth schedule of young horses is really, really important. You have at the end of like the two-year-old year, so late in the two-year-old year coming three, a lot of horses show pretty good balance. The feet are good. Their nutrition looks good. They, you know, they're, they're in a good phase. That's certainly a great time to think about starting with them. I would say the most popular time is spring of the three-year-old year. And again, all of these things are in consideration of their health, how their feet are, how their growth looks, how their nutrition looks. They look ready for work, in other words. Um, but I would say for us, we start late in the two-year-old year, early into the three-year-old year, and then we often will do like 90 days or 120 days, you know, a few months of work with them and see what they're like. And if they've been really, really good, 
and they're a big horse, we might just forget them for a while. Mm-hmm. And yep. then get going again after the summer. Um, um, so again, it's, it's just reading them. Mares we always have done early because then we can... I like to know, you talked about the breeding part, I really like to know about mares before I breed them because confirmation is one thing and their movement's another thing, but it's how they how they process information, their trainability in working with them and those things. That's genetic and that comes out in them um, in what they produce. So if they're really, really flighty, for example, and really, really insecure and things, I'll try to pick a confidence down, um, as well as the other components that are, that are there. And horses often move a little bit differently than just free and loose in hand when you start working them in long lines and side reins and a rider on their back and their balance and things like that. And I try to really take the riding details into consideration in my breeding decisions as well. So the mares, we, we pretty much always had started early that when we come to a breeding decision for the mare, um, you know, let's say she's three and we're trying to decide, should I breed her a year? Should I ride her this year? What should I do? Um, I'd like to have that pretty much ready to be decided by April. So it, it, you, you've got something going on all the year round, obviously, with so many horses. And, and as you say, you assess each horse on their, on their individual needs. I think that's important to, to get across. And also, depending on where you live in the country, the footing. Uh, as you, you indicated, you might uh, do some work with a young horse in the spring and then turn him away for the summer because maybe the, the, not only for his own mental and physical development, but also it may not be appropriate to work a horse on that footing, uh, depending on where you are in the summer. Um, so there are a lot of factors, aren't there, Scott, I think that people need to take into account in producing those young horses. I know, I know and I'm sure you've had, uh, no matter how many precautions you take, they're still going to throw a splint if they, <laughs> if they want to. And, uh, you know, in that young age, um, things, things like that will happen. Definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, uh, uh, just one more thing on, on the schedule. Uh, when I lived in Germany, um, which I was lucky enough to do from, from uh, 1988 to 1991 when we started Hilltop, I was there and, and was training with Herbert Rabine in, in North Germany, one of the, you know, to this day, just the greatest horsemen I've certainly ever been around. And when living there, I didn't have a whole lot to do. As you can tell, I'm a rather energetic person. So just training two horses up to the Grand Prix level was, I was very bored all day, so I rented eight to ten stalls at a stable next door, and would go there in the afternoons and work with my own young horses there, and I bought a, I, one test I did is I bought five two-and-a-half-year-old colts, and they filled up five stalls, and then I bought like a four-year-old and a five-year-old, and I learned that in that time, getting started with a two-and-a-half-year-old did not get me ahead of the game later at five. Really? So it's not like the sooner you start, the quicker you're going to get there. Yes. We can get a little bit impatient. And and that really taught me a, a very solid lesson there is that you have to go with their schedule a little bit, that every experience is a good experience. And training every day is not always necessarily a good experience. Sometimes backing off is a great experience. That they're yes. mentally fresh, they're mentally ready. And so, like you said, a horsemanship is really involved in scheduling, I think, for these, particularly the younger horses. Yeah, and patience, of course, is, is essential. The time and yep. the patience, absolutely. Well, Scott, this has been fascinating. I really appreciate you spending time with us and sharing your experience and, and, and wisdom with us. And I hope you'll come back on the show from time to time and uh, tell us what you're doing. It's coming now to a new year, um, and no doubt another busy one for Hassler Dressage. Um, do you have any New Year resolutions that you set yourself at the beginning of the year? Well, you know, not so much New Year resolution, but this is the year that we're going to open our new training center, and we're extremely excited about that. We're going to hopefully move the horses into it, you know, around March, and then, um, you know, we should be fully functional, I'd say, with all of our business by the by the summertime, and it's truly just fabulous. So I think our new, re- new Year resolution is to take it one step at a time and, and not get ahead of ourselves and, and try to enjoy everything as best we can. Well, terrific. Well, we wish you the very best of luck uh, with your business, Scott, and we will put a link on our website to Hassler Dressage and hope that you'll join us back here on the show uh, in the coming months. You bet. It was my pleasure. Well, that was great to hear from Scott. You know, Debbie, he, when, when we talk about horsemanship, it's something, as we mentioned in that interview, it's something that you, it, it, it so often is instinctive. It's feeling, it's intuitive, it's anticipation. And some of those things you can't teach. So you really just need to be around horses as much as you can and, and get the feel of, of, of that personality, their character, their temperament. And, and, and it really takes a lot of patience with young horses, doesn't it? 
It really does. And you're right. It, you know, it, it takes time. It's not something that, uh, a young person is probably going to have the technique to, um, to carry on. Uh, it takes a lot of years to kind of read the horse and get the horse to understand and speak their language, not trying to teach them to speak ours. So I think, uh, Scott's an amazing person for this job and, and all his information is always so spot on. It, it it really is, and and as we said, he you know we were going to welcome him back to the show anytime to uh, share maybe some tips with us, and so we're looking forward to that, and uh, maybe having other people there from his team at Hassler Dressage. So thanks again to Scott, and as I mentioned, we will put a link on our website to Scott's uh, Hassler Dressage website. Well, we're going to take another little break here, Debbie, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about our topic of this week. And uh, from that, I believe you have a trainings tip. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a second. Hi, Glenn the Geek here, founder of the Horse Radio Network. We've been getting a lot of emails lately about the quality programming we have on the Horse Radio Network with all the different shows that we do. Many people are asking us what they can do to help the Horse Radio Network grow and expand the range of programming even further. There are three ways you can help. The first is to keep listening every week and to subscribe through iTunes or Zoom. The second is to support our sponsors and write them emails and tell them thanks for supporting the shows. And the newest way you can help is through Amazon. The next time you need to get something or anything, really, through Amazon, just stop by the website at dressageradio.com and click on the Amazon banner in the middle of the page. Amazon gives us a percentage back for anything you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. All it costs is a couple of clicks to come on to our website first and click on the banner before you buy anything at Amazon. It's that simple. You were going to buy it anyway, and coming to the dressageradio.com website first helps you support the Horse Radio Network. We thank you for listening and supporting us here at the Horse Radio Network. Well, Debbie, this week I thought we would talk about something which, you know, everybody has to, to deal with if you have horses. And if you get into the sport of dressage, you probably look at a double bridle if you've never used one before and think, well... Should I be working in a double bridle every day or should I just use it at home or just should I just use it at competition rather? And if I have a young horse, when should I uh, start to teach him to ride in a double bridle? So I thought this would be an interesting topic of discussion, Debbie, and you know something that everybody in dressage faces eventually. It's yeah, obviously we all deal with that and um I think the first point is, um, you know, when, when do you introduce a horse to the double bridle? And, um, I certainly would never introduce the double bridle until the horse was really accepting of the snaffle. I have seen in the past, which is, is very disturbing where people actually go to the double bridle to think that they're going to get, uh, better control or, you know, put the horse into submission and um, and those are definitely the wrong reasons to be putting the double bridle on. The double bridle, you know, is something that unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at this, is something that in the FEI rules still state that we must show in a double bridle. Um, although the national, our national uh, rules, is, as I just heard from Hilda, is that they can show the Grand Prix in the snaffle now. And uh, that was new to me. I I hadn't heard that that had been actually um, passed. But apparently that is the case. Um, But that doesn't help for anybody that has the ambitions to go international for sure. So um, I, you know, again, fitting the bridle is also can be very tricky. It all depends on, you know, whether you want a, a shallow or a higher port, being uh, tongue pressure or palate pressure on the horse's mouth and knowing the anatomy of the, of the mouth, basically, you know, I mean, that, that's a huge part in, in acceptance of the bridle as well. So it is something that it's nice to have somebody that's had some experience to help you when you're introducing it. And also not, uh, you know, not really going right to work with it, you know, put it on, take the horse for a little hack a little bit, just see how it feels, and then start introducing some real work with it. But to put it on 
you know, pick the horse up and expect it to be right there sometimes can can come back and bite you. So it's just uh, something you want to add to, you know, depending on the horse, especially very carefully and tactfully. And of course, there's the fitting of it with having the two bits the, with the snaffle and the bradoon and fitting the curb correctly. Debbie, do you want to talk us through that? Because that's so critical how you obviously you twist the curb to get that to lie flat on the horse's chin and how tight you have the curb. Um, th- this is something which is critical in the, cor- the correct fitting of the double bridle b- before you correct. get started. Well, a lot of people's people do think too that like for instance when you adjust the curb chain that the um you certainly don't want it really tight but if you have it really loose you also are rotating that bit much further in the horse's mouth which can produce problems with the pinching of the tongue and things like that as well so again that also comes into play um you don't want to leave it hanging there because sometimes then you get too much angle in the curb and then it does rotate in the horse's mouth and it will cause pinching with the tongue and interfere with the snaffle. So, um, you know, you always want the snaffle a little bit higher. And although when you put it in the horse's mouth, it'll sometimes appear that the snaffle is hanging down. But when you pick up on the reins, you'll actually see where the snaffle picks up in the horse's mouth. And then there's, there's a good clearance for both bits, but it, you know, it's something you need to look at. You don't just take it for granted that it goes like this or that, you know, some horses you do have to play around with the pressure and, um, some just take right to it. You know, I mean, it's just like training them. Some learn on a different curve than another one. So, you know, it's not, there's no set rule really as to how it should or shouldn't be because every horse is a little bit different. And let's talk about um, the angle, the the length of the curb, um, uh, Debbie, and the height of the port and what is suitable. As you say, every horse is different. But if you were going to start off and you'd never used one before, you're going out to buy one for the first time, what would you advise riders to do? You know, I personally have had um, very good luck with the the shallower, the lower port Um, for my I mean, most of my horses actually have had that fit very comfortably in their mouth. I know some people prefer the one that kind of uh, points a little forward because then uh, um, the they feel there's less tongue pressure for the horse. So, um, But then I've also found that it also puts pressure on the palate. So it really depends on, on again, on the way that horse is, palate sits as well as not just the tongue pressure so um you know the and then the the length of the of the the shank or whatever um really that is for me i use it i use that whole thing as something we have to put on so i never put it on and use it as a place for let's say um leverage or um thinking that it's going to give me more control because that isn't the purpose that I'm even putting it in for. So, um, but again, you know, um, people look at these things a little differently. So <laughs> I'm only giving you my perspective on it. And I'm not saying that by any sense of the game, this is the, the way it should be. So uh, I think you'll probably ask several people and, and everybody will have a little different take on it. But, but I, I think these are useful to go to the, to the, the gentler, softer way for sure. Right then, and absolutely start off with a very kind sort of Tom Thumb uh, shank, as we called it, very a very short one where you don't have the severity of the leverage, which adjusts the position of the curb in the horse's mouth. And the other thing to remember, of course, is the lip strap. Don't forget to do the lip strap up. I've seen uh, curb chains get lost in the mud because yeah. people forget to put the chin in the the lip strap yeah, we up. could we could actually do a, a show one time on on bit and bits and um i i just want to say something that uh really intrigued me was um i went and did a uh horse expo in canada where um i forget his name but myler bit man was there oh yes bob and, bob Mc- um and basically, it was quite an interesting, interesting um, conversation we had because 
We, meaning of all the other disciplines out there, the dressage world is the only one that won't recognize more than just maybe one or two of his bits. And I said to him, why is this when you have proved, I mean, he's devoted his entire life to, to, you know, making horses bits fit comfortably in a horse's mouth. And all he could say to me was that um, the politics of our sport with the certain people that make bits are, will never let his bits pass. So, but it's very interesting to listen to this man um, talk about how, in his mind, a snaffle is sometimes more abusive than a curb because there is a pinching factor in it, anything with a joint. Yes. I mean, it's very interesting. It would be a fun conversation maybe to have him as a guest one day and just pick his brain a little bit. That would be good. Well, I certainly will give Bob a call and see if he will come on the show and talk to us about bits and bitting because it is so important, you know. We we take some things for granted, don't we, Deb, when it comes to those. We throw a bridle and saddle on them and, and sometimes, you know, don't stop to consider is it fitting as well as it should fit, you know? And are you know, and are we abusing the horse because we've overlooked something in the fitting of the of the bits and saddles too, of course. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I think that would be a great topic of conversation. I know, not that we're going to change the world and the bits, but it, I think it makes a little better understanding of people when they put something in a horse's mouth, what it could be doing. And I think he's, he truly has devoted his entire life to this, and um, he's a very interesting man to talk to. Well, I will certainly contact Bob McLaren and see if he'll join us here on the show. And the other thing I wanted to mention before we move off the subject, Debbie, is how sometimes the horse will get its tongue over the bit, but with a double bridle, they can also get their their tongue between the bits, which is a real pain, isn't it? Oh, well, a lot of times when that happens, you pretty much almost have to withdraw because you really can't touch the horse because it, it is painful. Yes. So it is, yeah, it's truly a, it truly is a, a, like I said, even the tongue over, I mean, it's devastating as a rider because you're pretty much at the mercy of just hoping things can get at least through the test because you don't have a lot of control over that situation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, a, uh, it can be very... something as much as just a minor little pinch and the horse just reacts, draws the tongue up and flips it over or out the side. Yes. Yes. Well, we heard about uh, obviously Parseval uh, at Mechelen. He got his tongue over the bit. Yes. Halfway yeah. through the competition, halfway through the test. And that relegated him all the way down to 10th place because I'm sure Adeline could do very little but just uh, go through the paces to finish the test. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, it will hopefully not happen again for her because that that's pretty sad to see when you see such a spectacular combination and then something like that happen. So I hope for her sake that that was just a real freak situation. Absolutely. But I think good good advice there on the use of the double bridle, Uh, Debbie. Thank you for that. And uh, we will take up your suggestion of uh, making this a topic of discussion with Bob Mickler and talk about bits and bitting in a future episode here on the Dressage Radio Show. Uh, But for now, that's uh, our tip of the week. And um, I thank you again, Debbie, for sharing that with us. And uh, these tips, of course, are not only heard on the Dressage Radio show, show, but also on Horse Tip Daily. You don't want to miss that. Again, another show on the Horse Radio Network. And uh, Debbie, we, uh, we, we've we had a lot of uh, fun this year with, with the Dressage Radio Show. We've had some great guests. And, you know, I think uh, it's, a, it's really a testament to the new media and technology that we are able to do this with the use of Skype, of course, recording these shows and be able to talk to guests all over the world, literally, uh, which has been a, a great deal of fun. And we've just, we're just thrilled that you've uh, wanted to be a part of it. And I hope you've had some fun, too. I really have had a lot of fun. Um, I, at first, I wasn't so sure, but I, the more I do it, I'm enjoying <laughs> it. And I have heard so many people come up and they've you know, said, I really enjoy that radio show and, and they listen all the time. So it definitely is something I think the more and more we're doing it, it's getting out there and it's getting used even more than, than I thought it would. So Absolutely. it's pretty exciting. 
Well, it is. And I should remind our listeners that you can listen to the Dressage Radio Show, not only, of course, on our website and uh, and on iTunes or Zoom, but you can also listen on a number of affiliates. And we have a great number of affiliate websites um, that are carrying the show now, Deb, around the world and not least of all here in the States. The Horse, for example, is carrying our shows and we're delighted that they've joined us because they have a terrific uh, audience there on thehorse.com. And there are a number, Horse City and Equestrian Life wow. and uh, Dressage Direct and uh, and a lot of the guests uh, already put a link on their website too. So you can just go to their guests when we put a link on our, our show notes um, that link back to their website and then they put a link uh, to the Dressage Radio Show on their website so anyone coming to them can listen to the show on their website too. So it really, it's like a ripple in a pond. Debbie, we are being heard all around the world. We're, our audience is growing exponentially every week, and and we're thrilled that you're having fun too. And <laughs> before we go any further, Debbie, we have to let our audiences know what we've got in store for them next week. Because talk about fun! I think before we get too serious with the upcoming competition season, we have to have a little bit more fun while we're still in the holiday season. And that's going to take the form of a quiz contest. And, you know, we've had these, Debbie, on the eventing radio show, and they've been hugely popular. We've had a terrific amount of fun with them. You know, it's all taken uh, very lightheartedly. You know, it's uh, it, this is not too serious. And, you know, Glenn, the geek, who um, he, he, he uh, of course, is involved with these quiz shows. We couldn't do them without him because he has to... Um, supply the sound effects for <laughs> if you have a right or a wrong answer so uh, glenn will be joining us as the scorekeeper next week and our content and contestors contestants for this first dressage radio show quiz contest are going to be debbie mcdonald and you're going to be joined by adrian lyle Adrian Lyle, and you're going to take on Heather Blitz, who, of course, has been our other co-host here on the show, with her groom, Lauren. So we're looking forward to that little battle of wits. The the uh, the, the, the questions are going to be very lighthearted. They're going to be uh, some things, I think, all well within our memory. Um, uh, a little I bit, don't know. Uh... <laughs> I don't have such a good one. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be hearing a lot of the buzzers, I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I look forward to setting those questions. They they are a lot of fun. We try not to trick you too much, but um I think um since you've been at the top of the sport for so long, Debbie, I and that was no reflection of your uh, 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 sort of your reflection of your experience, I should say, before I get too deep in and I can't dig myself out of that one. <laughs> or hopefully not too high of my expectations. <laughs> 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 so we're looking forward to that next week on the Dressage Radio Show. And as always, you can follow our show notes at dressageradio.com. You can send us your feedback, leave a voicemail at 270-803-0025. Or you can email me at chris at horseradionetwork.com. If you have any questions for Debbie as well, please send an email to me and I'll make sure Debbie gets those messages. And if you have any questions or suggestions or, you know, comments about the tips that we provide each week and the discussions that we have, and, of course, our guests on the show. Don't forget also that we have a fan book, a fan page on Facebook and where you can leave your comments. And uh, I check those regularly and obviously bring those to the show. So don't forget to, to visit that. There's a link, as ever, on our website. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Chris E. Stafford. We would like to thank our sponsors, as always, for their support for the Dressage Radio Show. Without that, without them, this show would not be possible. So, again, our thanks to Karen, uh, Karen Isberg and Kentucky Performance Products. They can be found at kppusa.com. Well, Debbie, that wraps it up for this week, and I just can't wait for next week. Which... <laughs> Right. Yeah, I think it will be a lot of fun for sure. Uh, I think it will. I think we're going to start something here. And, you know, the winners next week, of course, are going to have to take on any all comers 
because uh, there will be other contestants that come along and there'll be, you know, reputations at stake here for the dressage radio shows, <laughs> quiz champions. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, we're looking forward to that. Debbie, have you got a busy week or are you just enjoying the weather over there in California? No, unfortunately, it's pretty busy, but uh, I don't know what I'd do with myself otherwise. So I guess that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Great. Well, enjoy the weather. I won't keep reminding you of how cold it's getting here while you're enjoying warmer climates. I might have to come over and visit you sometime. That's true. <laughs> All right, sure. Debbie. Well, until we meet again this time next week. Uh, yes, I'd just love to say good luck to everybody for the new year and, and a lot of health and, and just lots of happiness. And enjoy your riding. Enjoy your riding and a happy new year to you all from everyone here at the Dressage Radio Show. <laughs> <laughs>